kings you have set over us because of our sins. They rule over our bodies and our livestock as they please. We are in great distress. This is the word of the Lord. If you can keep that uh, passage open to Nehemiah 9, a long prayer. Uh, we're in uh, the beginning of the, the year of prayer, Church by the Bridge 2017, the year of prayer. We've had uh, a few weeks so far uh, looking at great prayers of the Old Testament, and uh, I think this is another one of those great, great prayers. Um, one thing that struck me in the last couple of weeks from the weeks we've already looked at uh, in these prayers is the way that um, our theology, what we believe about God, determines how we pray, really drives how we pray. What you believe about God determines how you pray and what you pray for. Today we're looking at um, a theological, a little bit of theology, which is, it's so simple, but it's absolutely profound. And if we grasp it in our heads and hearts, it'll really change the way we pray, really give us confidence in our prayers. And it's this, God is faithful to his promises, despite our sin. Um, I've just spent the last week with my family up at this uh, conference. Uh, it's a missionary conference. And one of the guys there was a bishop from Tanzania, uh, Bishop Mwita. And he told this story of how um, in Tanzania, sometimes when the, the Maasai tribesmen are hungry and they see that a pride of lions has made a kill, uh, they kind of, three of them will approach. They'll get to about 50 to 100 meters away. They'll kind of scooch down. And they'll, then when they're ready, the three of them will get up together and walk with purpose straight towards the lions. Ten, twelve lions. And, and the lion will look up, and the first one will just kind of just walk away a little bit. And all the other ones will follow. And, and the Maasai would get in there, and they'd chop a bit of the, the kill off, a bit of wildebeest, whatever it is, and get away before the lions all converge again. Um, and the bishop said, that is my definition of confidence. I thought, yeah, <laughs> that's confidence. And he said, don't try that at home. You know, don't you, none of you Westerners don't try that. Uh, fair enough. I'm not going to do it. Don't worry. Uh, but it made me think about confidence. Do we have that kind of confidence in prayer? Like, are we willing to walk up to God in prayer like that? Just come up, come to him confidently. And when we come to him, when we walk up to God in prayer, do we actually expect, do we have any confidence that anything will happen? These tribesmen are confident. These lions are going to walk away. Do we have any confidence that anything will happen when we pray? And if so, why? Is it, is it something about us and the way we pray? Or is it something about God? Well, may this simple truth about God give us great confidence as we pray. God keeps his promises despite our sin. Uh, we're going to learn that truth by looking at this prayer from Nehemiah. Nehemiah is, of course, the shortest man in the Bible. Nehemiah. Anyway, don't worry about it. Um, yeah, it's really bad. Anyway, it's not actually Nehemiah's prayers you might have picked up. It's the prayer of the people. Um, what's actually happened, we've been given the context from our kids' talk, is that Nehemiah, well before Jesus, has come back to Jerusalem. It's a complete mess, and he's rebuilt the wall. Uh, but what he's found when he's got there to rebuild the wall patch all the holes up, is that there's actually holes right through the hearts of all the people. The people are being unfaithful, ungodly, 
the walls is one thing, but the lives of the people is another thing. And so he presses this on them. He says, we need to be faithful. We don't just need to fix up the walls. We've got to fix up our lives. And the people respond with, it's, it's like a minor revival. It's amazing. All the people, men, women, children, come together and they say to the priest, read us the Bible. And he reads it for six hours. And they respond with weeping of joy, weeping of sorrow. And then a bit later they gather again and that's where we meet them in chapter 9. And you heard again, the Bible was read for a quarter of the day. And they responded with confession and worship. This is a kind of a revival. And then they pray this great long prayer. Uh, What are they praying for? Well, look with me at the very end of the passage. Verse 36. This is kind of what they're praying for. Here we are today, slaves in the land you gave our ancestors so they could enjoy its fruit and its goodness. And here we are, slaves in it. Its abundant harvest goes to the kings you have set over us. We acknowledge your sovereign. You set them over us because of our sin. They rule over our bodies and our livestock as they please. We are in great distress. That's their prayer. Listen to us, God. We're in distress. You made a promise to your people. This is not it. I mean, it's part of it. We're in the land, but this is not how it's meant to be. We're slaves in the land we were meant to enjoy. So that's what the prayer is about. But the thing I want to focus on is, why do they have confidence to pray this prayer? What do they base their prayer on? And therefore, how might we have confidence in our prayers? And what they base their their confidence on is very simple. It's my main point. God is faithful to his promises despite our sin. And that's the point you just see so clearly rolling around throughout this whole prayer. It's so clear we're going to move through it quite quickly. But would you come with me to the beginning of the prayer? Back to verse 7. We're going to kind of zoom through and see this pattern. It begins with the great promise from Genesis 12 to Abram. You are Yahweh, the God who chose Abram and brought him out of Ur of the Chaldeans and changed his name to Abraham. In that is the promise. Abraham means father of many nations. God's saying, you're going to be the father of many nations. That's my promise to you. You found his heart faithful in your sight and made a covenant with him to give the land of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Jebusites, and Girgashites to give it to his descendants. And you have kept your promise, for you are righteous. So they begin their prayer by looking back at what God has done. He made a great promise. He kept that promise because he's righteous, he's faithful. It didn't always look like he was going to do it. You remember the bit when Israel was slaves in Egypt? You remember that bit? Well, well listen to what happens. Verse, verse 9. Because God is faithful. You saw the oppression of our ancestors in Egypt and heard their cry at the Red Sea. You performed signs and wonders against Pharaoh and his officials, for you knew that they had arrogantly treated our ancestors. You made a name for yourself that endures to this day. You brought us out, he says. You rescued us. Verse 10, you led them. Sorry, verse 12, you led them and guided them. Verse 12, you came down to be with them at Mount Sinai. You addressed them with your word. You gave them your law to sort of shape their lives as a people. And look how he describes it in verse 13. Halfway through verse 13, you gave them 
impartial ordinances, reliable instructions, and good statutes and commands. These are good gifts from God. And then verse 15, you you gave them everything they needed, God. Their food, their drink, everything. Verse 15, finally, you gave them the land you promised. He's so faithful, you see. He makes a promise. He does it. It's pretty straightforward. But in the face of this, what do they do? See verse 16? As the Israelites, a couple of hundred years before Jesus, remembering their history. And this is what they did. Verse 16, but our ancestors acted arrogantly. They became stiff-necked and they didn't listen to your commands. In fact, it says that they appointed a leader to take them back to slavery. That's stupid, isn't it? God's just rescued them. Take us back to slavery. Dumb. But this is what they do. How would you respond? I'll tell you how I'd respond because I am very tempted to do this often when I try to help someone and they don't want to be helped. They're kind of like, I will not be helped. I would just say, forget it. Israel, just forget it. Just, I'm going to walk away. I'm done. Wouldn't, wouldn't you? And yet God, verse 17, halfway through the verse, but you are a forgiving God, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, rich in faithful love. You did not abandon them. You didn't give up on them. You didn't. In fact, it goes on to recount the way God acted towards them pretty well exactly how he'd acted towards them before they'd sinned. He he kept his promise. He rescued them from Egypt. They sinned. He went on just looking after them. Kept on guiding them, kept on providing for them, brought them into the land that he promised, made them a nation. God is faithful. Verse 25, check out God's desire for them. What he wants. Verse 25, they captured fortified cities and fertile land and took possession of well-supplied houses, cisterns cut out of rock, vineyards, olive groves, and fruit trees in abundance. They ate were filled, became prosperous, and delighted in your great goodness. I mean, how good is God, right? Did they deserve that? Not at all. So rebellious and disobedient. Why did God do it? Because he made a promise. And he's faithful. That's it. Now, you guys know how the rest of the story goes uh, for the Old Testament. Uh, God's people were so thankful Uh, that they were faithful to God and they all lived happily ever after, right? I'm glad you're chuckling because it's not at all right. And as that prayer kept on going, I'm sure you were kind of thinking, can we just finish this? I get the point already. Because it keeps on saying, God was faithful, but we sinned. But God was faithful, but we sinned. It's just how it happens. And it's verse 28, it's a good little summary. Verse 28, as soon as they had relief, They again did what was evil in your sight, so you abandoned them to the power of their enemies who dominated them. When they cried out to you again, you heard from heaven and rescued them many times in your compassion, over and over again. Do you see the point, friends? God's people gather together, read his word, and then recognize their own story. They recognize that their story is one in which they have been consistently unfaithful, rebellious. But God has just consistently been faithful. 
over and over again, compassion, faithfulness, grace, keeping his promises to his undeserving people over and over again. That's their story. And I've got to say, friends, isn't that our story? Isn't that us? Is our world deserving of God's kindness to us? Isn't my story one where I just persistently go on sinning? I just don't seem to be able to get it right. And yet God in his goodness has loved me and wants to bless me. He wants to keep this promise that he's made to Abraham. He wants to answer this prayer to Nehemiah and set people free entirely and truly. He wants to be faithful. What did it cost him to be faithful? Everything. It cost him everything. The blood of his own dear son, his own tears. That's what it costs God to be faithful. Will he keep his promises? Absolutely. If God is for us, who can be against us? If, he hasn't, if he's given us his son, won't he, along with him, give us everything? God is going to be faithful. That's their story. That's our story. I want to go back to the Maasai for a moment, where we began. Um, I just imagine them, if I was one of them, sort of scooched down on the savannah. The lions are just kind of over there. Have any of you heard a lion roar in real life? Anyone? A few, a few nods. It's terrifying. It's absolutely terrifying. We were like a couple of meters away. One roared. And I was like, back children, back. You know, it was quite. <laughs> so imagine these Maasai, they're down here. Got any doubts running through their minds? You sure you want to do this? You sure? I'm pretty hungry. Let's go. But I wonder where their confidence comes from. Where does their confidence come from to get up and go? Are they thinking, well, actually, we're pretty well trained. Uh, well, we're the Maasai. Come on. It's, we're pretty good. I don't, think so. I don't think it's anything about them that gives them confidence. I think it's something about the lions. It's the fact that they know that if three Maasai walk towards them with intent, the lions will run away. That's what lions do. It's something about the lions that give them confidence. That's this prayer. That's how we ought to pray, brothers and sisters. It's not something in me. It's not how obedient I am. It's not how well I pray, how persistently I pray. It's something about God. It's that he keeps his promises. Despite my sin, that's what gives me confidence in my prayers. So look at the way this prayer ends. Verse 33. They say, you are righteous concerning all that has come on us, God, because you've acted faithfully while we have acted wickedly. There's nothing on our side. You don't need to answer this prayer because of us. Why do they expect him to answer it? Well, we'll look at verse 32. This is where they kind of conclude. They say, so now, O oh God, considering that history, considering your track record, now, O oh God, the great, mighty, and awe-inspiring God who keeps his gracious covenant, now this God, do not view lightly all the hardships that have afflicted us. Remember us, will you? I mean, verse 36, we're slaves here. We're not meant to be slaves. That's not part of the promise. You're a faithful God, so please answer us. Friends, do you see where their confidence comes from? I'm banging on and on about this, but do you see the point? Is it clear? I hope so. God is faithful to his promises despite our sin. 
This is what gives their prayer muscles. God's made a promise. He's going to keep it. Now, I think the application for us today is pretty straightforward, isn't it? God's faithful to his promises despite our sin. Therefore, let's pray God's promises. Let's pray God's promises. God will keep them even if you're not a particularly brilliant person or a particularly brilliant or experienced prayer. In a sense, when God makes promises, he ties himself down to us. He will keep his promises. There's plenty of things you can pray and God could say, never said I'd do that. Not his, not his promises. Not his promises. Spurgeon once said, I hope I've got this quote up here from Spurgeon. Do we? Yeah, here we go. What is prayer but the promise pleaded? You've got a promise, you plead the promise. A promise is, so to speak, the raw material of prayer. The promise is the power of prayer. However, this is how my prayers often work. A little bit of um, self-revelation. Sometimes I come to God and I'm something like this. God... I really want X to happen, or I want X to be given to me. Uh, I don't know how you feel about that. I don't know if you're interested in X, but I'm just going to say, I want X. Can you sort that out? Is there any surprise that I lack confidence in my prayers at times? You see, that's lazy praying, friends. It's lazy praying when God has given me a Bible full of promises that I can rest my prayers upon. I once started to look up God's promises and I came up with 18 pages worth and I'm happy to give them to you if you like. 18 pages, I'm sure there's more. There are so many promises of God. But here's the terrible thing, friends. I've got 18 pages and I don't look at them. I have this week because I've been rebuked by this passage. But you know, I don't look at them because it requires a bit of thought. It requires for me to grab hold of God's promises and say, how does that apply to today? Let me pray that for today and take hold of his promise for today. It's it's a bit of work. What's much easier is just to say, hey God, I want X. Uh, Please. And lack confidence. Friends, let's pray the promises. There's plenty of things we can ask that don't relate to a promise. That's fine, fine, fine. But if you've got a promise, it gives your prayers muscles. William Gurnall, another quote. I love this quote. He says, furnish yourself with arguments from the promises to enforce your prayers. How good is that? Enforce your prayers. Push them onto God by furnishing yourself with arguments from the promises. Like I said, I've just been at this missionary conference and some of the missionaries spoke of the preciousness of God's promises. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. And they pray that. God, please, do not leave us at this time. We are scared. We need you. Do not leave us. Be with us. And he is. Behold, I am coming soon, says Jesus. Lord Jesus, come, come, and he will. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's a promise you can pray with confidence. Friends, Many of you have come to the Lord Jesus and said to him, Lord God, I have nothing. I'm in the position of sinner here. I'm just throwing myself upon you. Many of you have done that and you've been saved and rescued by God. Can I just say, that is the shape of prayer always. Always come to him, empty-handed, saying, God, I need you to keep your promise to me. 
and pray with confidence. What we're going to do now, actually, is, is um, we're going to have a time of open prayer in a moment. What I want to do first is I'm going to show a couple of promises from the scriptures up on the screen. Each will hang there for 20, 30 seconds. Just reflect on that. Think about what you might be able to pray off of that. Um, and once we've gone through the cycle, I'll lead us in a prayer, and then it's over to you. Let's pray the promises. Or pray other things. Feel free to pray other things as well. Um, is that right? Does that make sense? Promises, reflect, open prayer. Let's do it. This one's connected. Father, we rejoice in your faithfulness. Uh, We are so thankful for your precious, precious promises. And we come to you empty-handed, Father, and gladly we receive from your abundance. Uh, We rejoice uh, that you have been faithful to us. We see it so expressed so clearly throughout history and especially at the cross. Father, you've promised us uh, that blessed are all who take refuge in you. May we take refuge in you in our prayers not trusting in ourselves, but in your great faithfulness. May we be blessed in our prayers. Amen. Please guide us and please lead us in prayer.